Good morning, church. It's good to see you today. I'm Pastor Joy. Pastor Simon's already invited you to have your Bible ready or your First and Second Thessalonians journal, and so I invite you to turn with me to chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Please listen. This is the word of the Lord. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great oppression. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with a message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, although we may have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was toward you, believers. As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you and pleading that you live a life worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's a question you may have asked before or asked other people or ask in your mind without verbalizing. What's your motivation? What's your motivation? I remember one time when I was 15, my dad asking this question or a derivative of this question to a guy who called me. This is when we still had landlines. He said, why are you calling my daughter? What's your motivation? Why are you doing what you're doing? What's underscoring your action? When we ask these questions about ourselves and especially about other people, why why on earth did you do that? What's your motivation? What do you ultimately want? And our text today is all about motivation because people have been talking about Pastor Paul and his motivations, not people within this church in Thessalonica, but people outside the church. They've been talking about Pastor Paul to people within the church, and the people within the church are listening, and they are starting to believe them. This is the kind of stuff they're saying. That Paul guy, Pastor Paul, well, he only pretends to have integrity so he can get rich and gain status. You think he's telling this truth, but it's a a conspiracy just to fool you. That's why he butters you up so much. Look, we have the proof. That other church, the one in Philippi, it sent him money two times while he was with you. Hmm. He's a charlatan after your money. He's a con artist, don't you see it? He, He just wants your money and the glory you give him. 
I mean, think about it. What do you think he did with all that money from those poor gullible people in Philippi? Makes you wonder. And then look at who he hung out with. Look at who he converted. Those wealthy women and Jason. Yeah, he hung out at Jason's house like a gold digger. That's what I'd say. Then that guy, Jesus, he preaches about, didn't he hang out with the poor? Hmm, convenient, if you ask me. And then, of course, Pastor Paul did this just for his own gain because he didn't stick around. He conned you all and he's taken off. He is like a bad mom who abandons her kid. He's like a dad who deserts his family. How can you trust this guy? And if you can't trust him, how can you trust this Jesus he talks about? That's the kind of stuff they were saying. And it's starting to stick. Maybe several people would seriously discuss this topic at the market one day and then the topic comes out, up at the weekly gathering of believers. I mean, could this be true about Paul, they wonder? I mean, he did get that money from Philippi and, and then he did just run away and, and then this topic comes up during Timothy's visit to the church because when people start doubting Paul, they start doubting themselves and then they start doubting the good news that Paul preached, and then they start doubting Jesus. And Timothy has returned to Paul and reported what's being said about him and how it's starting to undermine the church. And so here in this letter, in these 12 verses I just read, Paul is defending himself. Paul goes through point by point to defend himself from this attack, to defend the purity of his motivation, his call from God, and his integrity and mission. So this is what he does. In verse 1, Paul says, Our coming to you was not in vain. Another way to say this is, Our our visit to you was not a scam. It was not selfishly motivated. And Paul demonstrates this by showing, not just by telling. If he would have had selfish motives, would he have willingly received that shameful treatment in Philippi? And what Paul is referencing here is a story that the church is obviously familiar with, that obviously knows. Paul's saying, remember when I told you what happened at Philippi? When Silas and I were arrested and dragged into the marketplace, when they stripped us of our clothes and beat us with rods and tossed us into jail illegally? Do you remember that? Does a charlatan willingly receive such treatment? And this is because Paul's courage is not in himself, but in God. Paul writes, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. This isn't Paul's gospel, you see. It's not Paul's good news. This is God's gospel. God owns it. Paul's the messenger. And Paul as a messenger, he didn't self-select into this. He didn't self-identify as an apostle on his own volition. God appointed him, Paul writes. We have been approved by God to be entrusted with this message of the gospel. Even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our heart. When Paul says we have been approved, another way to translate that is we have been examined. We have been examined by God to be entrusted 
with the gospel. And, and grammatically, this examination or approval isn't something that just happened once a long time ago. It's something that continuously happens. So we have been examined. We are being examined. We will be examined. And you, church in Thessalonica, you're not our examiner. God is, and God continues to be. And we seek God's approval, not your approval. That's what Paul is saying. But as I reflected on this passage this week, you know, I, I don't really blame the Thessalonians for being suspicious of Paul. I mean, it's true. There are leaders out there whose motivations have a lot more to do with their own wealth and well-being and honor than the common good of those they lead. These leaders are outside and inside the church. I did a rather unfortunate quick internet search this week for Christian leaders who fell and I quickly ran out of fingers to count them on. And in Paul's day, there were leaders who took advantage of the masses. And today, there are leaders who take advantage of the masses. And even though then they wore different clothes from us, the leaders that lied, embezzled, and manipulated then have the same motivations as leaders who lie, embezzle, and manipulate now. And those motivations are greed and glory and power. Greed in the form of money and glory, and glory in the form of praise from others, accolades, being liked and popular, being chosen, and power. But as we are very well well aware, (laughs) some leaders abuse power. What are we to make of this? Who do we trust? Does the church in Philippi trust Paul? Does the church in Thessalonica trust Paul? Do we in the Evangelical Covenant Church, do we trust our leaders, our board of directors, or our president, John Wenrick? And then let's take it down a bit. In the local church, do you trust your pastors? Do you trust me? And so this question starts out as big and hypothetical, but real and as we consider people whose faces we recognize and whose, whose tweets we might read and who we might vote for or hope for to become in leadership, but, but who we've never really met, but then we quickly drill down, getting more narrow and focusing down on us, on this church, one church out of many here in Hinsdale, Illinois, in June 2020, leaders that you know. Who can I trust? What's your motive? Why are you the leader? I mean, mean, we don't want to be conned, right? We don't want to be disappointed. It's tough. But let me tell you, it's also tough on the other side, and this is the side that, that Paul is writing from. As a pastor whose appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but who has been examined by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, whose job it is not to please humans, not to please you, sorry, but to please God, who tests our hearts. Quite a few years ago, I was a camp counselor. Great job, I loved it. And I had a strategy, and it was, for the first few days, I would be really strict to help the kids understand the rules and guidelines of the camp. And, and so one day, early in the week, as I gently corrected a camper, she turned to me and she said, I don't like you. And I said, that's okay. It's not my job for you to like me. It's my job to take care of you at camp. 
And, and so Paul, too, isn't primarily motivated by his desire to be liked by the Thessalonians. But also, and this is important to note, he doesn't take the opposite tack either. He doesn't straighten himself up and tower over the people and argue from authority. He doesn't say, listen here, folks, I'm Pastor Paul, and I met Jesus personally on the road to Damascus. I came to you guys because of a sacred vision the Lord gave me. He gave me, and I have authority from Jesus, and I'm going to use it, so obey me, listen to me, believe me, trust me. No, he doesn't do that here. He actually puts himself within the congregation in his argument, and he puts himself in the house church with them. And he does this through identifying with the people in the church, with the babies, with the moms and the dads, and I'll show you how he does this in a minute. Paul puts himself within this new family of God, and then he tells them about it from within. This is how Paul leads. So, first... Paul compares himself and his companions to babies. This might be hard to see in your translation. In the NRSV, which I read, Paul writes, we were gentle among you. Your translation might read differently here. Where it says we were gentle among you, Paul is really comparing himself and his companions to infants. Uh, One of the top Thessalonian scholars today who I studied with in seminary, he argues that this portion in verse 7 be translated we became as infants among you. You can write this in your Bible or your notes, right? Paul is comparing himself to a little baby. Now, as we know, little babies are not all about greed and glory and power, right? Now, they do get hungry and they cry, but we all get hungry, so let's understand them. Babies, but we know babies don't come with ulterior motives, and neither does Paul. He says, we were, we were innocent like infants, innocent like babies, We were innocent like babies. Second, continuing the family theme, Paul says, we were like loving moms. More specifically, Paul says, we were like a wet nurse nursing her own children. That's a different translation. And that might sound weird to us, but let me explain. In the Greco-Roman world, there were many wealthy mothers who would have a slave or a servant nurse their own child. But here, Paul is saying, we didn't farm you out to someone else. It's like a a wet nurse caring and nursing her own children. We cared for you just like a mother nursing her own children. This is a special bond. Now, pastors don't usually talk about nursing from the pulpit, and I don't intend to for long. But as a pastor and a mother, I can speak from experience. And I love Paul's metaphor here. Because at its best, Nursing a baby is a mother's way of sharing her own self with her child. It is a special, special time. And it's dear to Paul, too. And I love that Paul, an unmarried guy without kids, is reflecting from this perspective. He has seen mothers nurse their own children with deep affection and love, and he feels this for the church. His affection for his congregation is so clear here. He says, you have become very dear to us. It's like, it's like when a parent looks at their high schooler and then remembers them when they were a baby and they were learning how to say bus and, and drink from a cup and toddle around the house. You have become very dear to us. And then Paul's third family metaphor. He says, we were like good dads. We were like good dads, like a father with his children, Paul says. 
urging and encouraging you and pleading that you live a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And you're witnesses of this, Paul says. Remember what you saw. Paul is saying, remember family time? Remember when you'd sit with me when I worked in the leather shop night and day? (laughs) You know, Paul says. You know. He says you know four times in this paragraph. You know. You remember, right? You remember how I was like a dad to you. You know you experienced it. You were there. And this type of fatherhood that Paul is emphasizing here is a nurturing father, one who teaches and trains And even though it was a patriarchal society in the first century, fathers had devotion and love for their kids because many babies died as infants. And so fathers treasured their children. That's what Paul's like. But he's not just a great dad for the sake of being a great dad, for the sake of the Thessalonians liking him. He's a great dad for the sake of the Thessalonians leading a life worthy of God. He cares about what God thinks about them, too. He wants their whole life to reflect God's kingdom. Because being a father's job and a mother's job, I'd add, is to raise adults, to raise children who are good citizens. And in the church, we raise children, the children of others and our own children, to be citizens of God's kingdom. That's the goal. Lead a life worthy of God, Paul writes, because it is God who is calling you into his own kingdom and glory. Our glory doesn't come from the praises of people, from being liked and accepted. It comes from God. And the gospel, too, comes from God. Remember, Paul isn't preaching his own vision, something he made up to appease the masses and make money and become an influencer. He's not lording his authority over the church. He's getting in there with them, preaching God's gospel, not his. The church has seen it. They know. And they have witnessed Paul's pastoral vocation. I want to honor my dad a bit about uh, speaking about pastoral vocation. So some of you know that my dad was a pastor when I was a kid. He worked at a small Christian Missionary Alliance church in Georgia. Some of our parishioners lived in rural areas, and, and sometimes I would accompany him on pastoral visits. One place we regularly visited was the Bailey's house. And dad would drive our silver VW rabbit down this dirt road toward their house and would descend a little hill. And before we ascended the next hill, we would go straight through a creek and there was no bridge. And, and so if it was just me, I'd try to roll my window down some and put my fingers out so I could feel the water on my hand. And the water would splash up on the sides of the car. And then we'd get to the Bailey's house and they were an older couple Mr. Bailey had a large garden. It was really a a farm. It was full of vegetables, and Mrs. Bailey had uh, crocheted things throughout her home. And Dad would read scripture and pray with Mr. Bailey, and I would sit with Mrs. Bailey in the kitchen. And their house smelled like linoleum, and I remember playing with these rubber grapes in the bowl while I waited. I'm telling you this story because this is the work of a pastor, one who isn't in it for the money or glory. And you would never know this story if I had not just told you. 
Just like we don't know the stories of the times that Paul sat with people in the leather shop, teaching the Old Testament to the Gentiles, telling the stories of Jesus to children, sharing about the reality of the resurrection with them. And as the Thessalonians considered this part of the letter, I believe the Spirit used it to release their anxieties as they remembered their relationship with Paul. They stopped wondering if Paul was a a charlatan. They knew. They knew him. He was local. Because God calls pastors locally to a certain place, a certain church family, and this is how God has made it. And I know because of COVID-19, there are plenty of pastors and churches available online and you can visit from the comfort of your own home. But that doesn't make it your family. Your family is your family. Your church family, the local church family, is your family. And this is why Paul can say he is a baby and a mom and a dad with all these people. He knows them. The church, the local church, is God's design for his mission in the world. Some of you might know from Pastor Lars' announcement video yesterday that this Sunday is our last live stream Sunday service for the time being. We will be live streaming again on Thursday. But starting next Sunday, we'll be gathering again together at 9 and 10.30 here at the church. Pastor Lars will, will tell a few more details in a moment. And we will be recording part of that service so you can catch up later if, if you want to. But first, I do want to address you. I know some of you have been tuning in from far away, and I'm so thankful that you have been able to join us, worship with us, and hear the gospel of God proclaimed during this season. But I also want to encourage you and bless you in your search for a church home in your own city. I encourage you to pray that God will lead you to a church and to pastors that guide you into leading a life worthy of God's calling into his kingdom and glory, right where God has called you to live. Pray this as a prayer, my friends. Pray this, God will respond faithfully and will answer your prayer. And to those of you who live locally, Hinsdale, Westmont, LaGrange, Western Springs, other surrounding cities, I, I invite you back back to worship together, embodied as the church. And, and I, do, I, I do want to acknowledge that some of you can't join us yet. We totally understand if you're taking precautions for your own health or the health of someone you love. We really give room and freedom for you to discern as needed. But I do encourage you to stay connected, stay tangibly connected. Reach out to pastors if you need care or have a question about the Christian life or the Bible especially if you can't attend on Sundays. We know you. You know us. And we're in a family with you. We are moms, nurturing like moms, or like moms. (laughs) We're dads, loving and nurturing like dads. You know. I have cried with some of you. I don't know if the guys have cried with you, but I certainly know that they have listened and discerned and guided and prayed for you, and we continue to do that. Because God has called us and appointed us to urge you to lead a life worthy of God's calling into his kingdom and glory. And you know our motivation? It's Jesus. Because if we wanted riches or glory, frankly, we'd be doing different things. But we know 
that in God's kingdom, our wealth doesn't matter. The praise we get from people, it doesn't matter. Paul wrote in another letter that for the sake of Jesus, he had suffered the loss of all things. And he regards them as rubbish in order that he may gain Christ. Our motivation is Christ. And we pray that this becomes your motivation for everything you do as well. So let's center today our motivations on Jesus. As I was finishing the sermon this week, I was reminded of these classic, this classic hymn written 98 years ago by Ray F. Miller, I'd Rather Have Jesus. And as Jenny plays it, a few of us will be singing here. And I invite you to pray these words with us. They're going to be on the screen. Sing along. I'd rather have Jesus, my friends. I'd rather have Jesus.